0: Amen. Y'all sound great. Would you remain standing in honor of God's Word as we go to the text from which my assignment comes today, Matthew chapter number two. This is a text that we have been looking at for some time now. We're going back and revisiting it. Aren't you glad that you can feed on the same portion of God's Word over and over and over again? You can never exhaust it. You can always get something good out of it. Matthew chapter number two, verse 11. Speaking of the wise men, by the way, says, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely, divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Notice the phrase, they departed for their own country another way. That's what I want to minister to you from today. By way of title, I'm calling this Leave Another Way as we continue in our series, Bounce, How to Rebound from a Bad Year. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit graciously and powerfully and personally to every single heart. Father, help your word to come alive put your anointing on it, which makes all the difference in the world, which turns messages into sermons from heaven. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we have shared for several weeks, the wisdom contained within this, and y'all know this is a after Christmas verse. Everybody preaches it as a Christmas verse. It's not a Christmas verse because the wise men didn't show up at the birth of Jesus on the day he was born. They showed up at least 12 days after by some theological standards to as many as two years after. And if you notice, the verse said, not in a stable, but in a house. Jesus had relocated by the time that they had showed up. And so this is not a Christmas per se verse, although the story is linked to that. It is a shortly after Christmas verse and therefore it is good for a new year because the new year happens shortly after Christmas and we said within this portion of scripture there is winning wisdom for how to live and succeed in any particular year especially this year given the unique set of circumstances we are not just starting a new year with new expectations and new hopes and new dreams and managing all that and you know setting goals but we are still continuing to struggle with and manage through the pandemic that kind of is following us A little bit, but in Jesus name, we'll be over soon. Amen? And so, we have to find unique wisdom for this year. And so what better place to find wisdom than who the Bible calls the wise men? And we have said that there's three winning wisdom nuggets within this text, and we've looked at two so far. The wise men, they, they found Jesus. In life, the greatest thing that you could do, the starting place of a successful life or a life that God wants you to have and endure is to find Jesus. Where, where's God at in this? What does God say about it? How does God want me to respond? What is God's wisdom? Um, what does God's word say? Find Jesus. Locate God. Don't locate where a political party stands. Don't locate where your best friend stands. Don't locate even where your spouse stands on the issue. Locate where God stands on any issue. Find Jesus. Stay With Jesus, and your life will be better for it. So, the first thing they did is they found Jesus. Second thing they did, and this should be the natural reaction to anybody who finds Jesus, they worship Jesus. And the reason why worship should be a reaction to finding Jesus is because we know that when we find Jesus, Jesus is the only true source of help and hope. He's the only true source of wisdom. He's the true source of healing. He's the true source of guidance. He is the answer to everything that we are looking for. He is the embodiment of all things good. He's God manifest in the flesh. And so when we find Jesus, when we locate where he stands, we worship Jesus. And we look at the power of worship last time. Today, I want to focus on this phrase, they departed for their own country another way. The third bit of winning wisdom is leave another way or change for the better. Amen. Isn't that what a new year is really all about? It's about change. Every new year is marked by what we call Resolutions. I don't know about you, but I was light on the resolutions this year. Anybody else light on the resolutions this year? Just kind of almost forgot to make resolutions this year. I'm constantly a goal setter anyway, so I don't need like the new year to, to fine tune me. I'm, I'm constantly fine tuning the goals that God has for me in my life. But this year I was a little light on the resolutions, but resolutions are nothing more than things that we would like to see change in our life for the better. And so that's what a new year is really all about. And we know that not Number one on your outline, change is an inevitable part of creating a new and better future. You cannot have a new and better future by doing the same things that haven't gotten you anywhere over and over and over again. We've all heard it said before, insanity or the definition thereof is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get different results. Now, let me preface that by telling you that there are certain things that you should do over and over again. Right. Perfection. Matter of fact, becoming a pro at something requires that you do it over and over and over again. But the only things that you should really do over and over and over again are good things or productive things, because when you do unproductive things over and over and over again, you form bad habits. Bad habits actually form um, patterns of thinking very literally and scientifically in your head. Anybody remember the series we did Stay Woke? We, we talked about that your brain is pliable, malleable, groovable, that you have to, you ever see lines on a brain? You know, you look at a brain, it's got lines. Those actually are telling your body and your behavior, your being, what to do. And when you do a bad thing over and over and over and over again, what happens is your brain gets grooved with those patterns of behavior. It becomes part of you. And then you have to, to undo that. You have to do a good thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Not for just 21 days, by the way. That's a, that's not true. People say, do something for 21 days, you'll you'll form a habit. How many's ever did something for 21 days and then fell right back into the same pattern you used to have before, right? We all have. It actually scientifically is you have to do it for 63 days in order to regroove the brain. But like anything, when the brain is regrooved, it's a young groove. And anything that's a young groove doesn't really take roots. You need something to, that sticks with it, that does the same thing over and over again in order to create roots. And so when I say insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get different results. There are certain things you you do want to do over and over again, and you'll get better and better results. But I'm talking about not changing anything, especially the unproductive habits in your life. How many you know we all have? Let's just be real with one another, because sometimes in church we can kind of hear something and think it's for somebody else. You know, we all have unproductive habits in our life. We all have areas in our life that we need to change and we know that change is an inevitable part of a new and better future. We need to change in order to do it. If you want abs, you cannot keep eating donuts. You know, I've I've prayed about this. I'm like, God, is there any other way? If it be possible, take this cup from me. God, I want donuts and abs. Right anybody else feel like that? I like donuts more than abs, by the way. I mean, when you get to a certain age, who needs abs anyway, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, showing the same person your belly over and over and over again. And it's just, here it is. (laughs) Boop, there it is. (laughs) Just kidding. Change number two is, is very complex. It's a complex thing. Some changes voluntary. Some change you get no vote on in life. Some changes are good and some changes are bad. And then you have when the good and the bad changes overlap at the same time. You know, we're so either or as Christians, aren't we? It's like either you, you know, we, we kind of feel like it's gotta be one way or the other. And sometimes I've found that there's, there's overlap in stuff. You know, most of the times growth is is overlap because you, most people don't change behavior in in one day or one minute. They They get better in an area and then they kind of fall back a little bit. Then they get better in the area and they fall back less and then they get better. And hopefully you eventually get to a place where you conquer a particular thing. But you can have good change and bad change happening at the same time. So you can have your family on the way up and your finances on the way down. Or your finances on the way up and your family on the way down. Good change and bad change. Then there's those... Things that start off as bad changes that wind up being good changes. Anybody ever have that happen to you in life? Remember Joseph in the Bible started off with a bad change is a pit. But the pit turned into a palace and the very thing that looked like a bad change at first wound up being a good change. And here's what God told me to tell you when I was preparing this. He said, that's a word for somebody. Don't judge the change until the whole change is seen because behind that thing that looks like a bad change may actually be a promise that God has for you. There could be better beyond your bitter. Don't conclude until you've read the rest of the story. And oftentimes, how many of you know Life really can't be judged until you're on the, until you look back. Our problem most of the times is we try to judge, judge life looking forward. And the reality is we can't come to proper conclusions in life until we get to a certain place and look back. And that's why the older you get, young people, the smarter you get. I know young people hate to hear that. I used to hate to hear that too. I was like, I'm smarter than you. You think you're how, who do you think you are? Like I'm 19. I'm like, I'm smarter than you. I, I know I'm smarter than you. And there are, that may be true on an intellectual point of view, right? There are a lot of young people that might be intellectually smarter, might have higher IQs than older people, all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, there's something that you learn as you live life. And so wait until you've lived a little bit and you can look back to judge whether the thing that you thought was good is really good and the thing that you thought was bad was really bad. I remember I was in a relationship when I was 18. I thought it was really good. That well, was the best thing that ever happened to me. When the relationship broke up. I thought my life was over. Looking back now, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, I've told you this story before. I was at a wedding one time, and uh, it was a high school wedding. And so, you know, there were ghosts all around in high school. You know what I mean? Anybody had any ghosts from high school? You don't know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anyway, and so, um, you know, there was this ghost that was there, and uh, old girlfriend, and, and and my and my wife was standing right next to her. And I looked, I said, thank you, Jesus. I said, thank you, Jesus. Because time was not good to her. But time has been very good to my wife. My My wife still looks sexy. And I'm happy about it. So don't, don't judge it. Let it evolve. There are good changes and bad changes. And sometimes bad changes can actually be good changes. And then there's big change and small change. Moving, changing careers, getting married, buying a house. All big changes. On the other hand, there's small changes. Shaving your beard, changing your style, cutting carbs from your diet. Okay, bad example. That's a big change, huge change, but you get my point. There's big changes and small changes. And then lastly, there's hard changes and easy changes. Divorce, death, disloyalty, disease, all hard changes. Changes that in many ways we don't get a vote on in life. Changes that are often thrust upon us. Changes that in order to manage, we need the grace and help of God and the healing power of God to carry us for seasons in order to help us through those types of big changes. But here's the the thing about change that that is huge. Change is the objective that God has for our life. It It is God's ultimate objective. God's ultimate objective, contrary to popular Christian teaching, is not to bless us. I love God's blessing. Don't you like God's blessing? God loves to bless us. I mean, God is a blesser. God, God's a gift giver. He enjoys it. He loves it. He, he relishes it. He puts a smile on his face. I'm not, I'm not talking about not blessings not being good, but the objective of, of, of God's Uh, of our life from God's point of view is not so we can be blessed. The objective of our life from God's point of view is so that we can be changed. And isn't that really the conclusion of our story or the conclusion of our text that when the wise men encountered Jesus, that when they had an experience with Jesus, the scripture says they left another way. Now, literally speaking, this is talking about the road that they traveled. They literally went on a different road than they came. But it is surely speaking of the fact that in the presence of God and in the presence of Jesus and with an experience with Jesus, they left different. They were changed. They had a different objective and they had different goals and they had a different that they wanted to take a life, and a different belief system and a different way of thinking. They were changed by the encounter with Jesus. And here is the objective. Here's the big takeaway: that when we get into the presence of God, God wants it to change us. And that anything else is really just fluff. It's funny. It's fun. It's enjoyable. You know, it's a goosebump. Went to church. Got a few laughs. Felt, felt, felt a couple of emotions. But if the experience doesn't change us, it really hasn't accomplished its objective. And the change that God wants in our life is different than the change that we want to see in our lives. Most of us, we want change in our situation or our circumstance so we can experience a better life we want to change what's happening on the outside rather than what's happening on the inside and so we gravitate towards superficial changes that we think will produce better lives for us and so when asked what do we want to change about our lives we say things well i'd like to be skinnier i'd like to have more money you know i'd like to have a better job a bigger house more vacation time and a nicer car I'd like, to, I'd like to have a, a different career path. I'd like that. Cause we're thinking in terms of what can produce a better superficial. Nothing wrong with those things, by the way. See, the church goes, goes either or, right? It's like, you know, oh, bad. Those things are all horrible, bad. No, they're not. They're not horrible, bad. They're okay. If managed and understood properly, if understood that that is not the objective, of life, It is not, the pursuit should not be the pursuit of life. And so, from our perspective, we want superficial changes, but from God's perspective, God wants transformational change. See, God wants to change our circumstances and situations, but he's much, much more interested in transformational change than he is in superficial change, and so he often uses the circumstances and situations we want him to change to change us. Said another way, God is much more interested in changing us than he is our situation. He's much more interested in changing our character than he is our circumstances. Truth is, the change that God wants to see in us most is for us to become more like Jesus. Thus why he uses the very circumstances and situations that we ask him to remove to change us before he changes them. Because of what God's objective is God's objective is for us to be transformed from the inside out to become more like Jesus. This has always been God's objective right from the very beginning. The scripture everybody knows about the beginning is Genesis one Let us make man in our image after our own likeness. It you know, it's funny because whenever people see my son and me, they're like, man, wow, you guys look alike. I'm like, yeah, he's my son. The mailman didn't do this one. And this is my boy. He looks like me. And then they, then they say, and you guys look like brothers. And I'm like, you see that, Joe? Look at me. I'm looking good. Young. But the whole purpose of God is, is to have created people that, that reflect him in his image and in his likeness. And here's the thing about that is that that hasn't changed. Hasn't changed from the very beginning of why God created us. And so when you get over into the New Testament, you find that same principle taught there. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is my favorite scripture in all the world. By the way, I wrote a book about it. If you haven't gotten that book yet, I wrote it 10 years ago. I still forgive you, okay? Even though, like, come on, man, support. I'm feeling some kind of way tonight. Can you tell I got a little edge on me? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and we know that all things work together for the good. For those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. Now, just stop there. Don't stop before we get into theological chaos right now. How many believe that God foreknows everything? So when he says, for whom he did foreknow, he's obviously talking about everybody. Correct? Because if if he's not talking about everybody, then then some of you were really accidents. Some of you showed up and God's like, how'd they get here? Truth of the matter is, everybody is here on purpose. Nobody's an accident. Everybody is, is divinely created for a reason. Matter of fact, your purpose preceded your production. In other words, God didn't just create you. They go, well, what am I going to do with this one? What God does is he first decides what he wants to do, then he creates somebody to do it, which means that when you come to earth, you come prepackaged with everything you need for what God created you to do. And so the secret to success is finding out what am I here for, and the only reason why you can ever find out why you're here for is if you talk to the person who put you into production. Because only he knows why he really created you. So trying to discover your purpose by being disconnected from God is, is like trying is like being a fish out of water. You ever see a fish out of water? Then it starts slowing down the longer it's out of water. Then it doesn't move anymore. Because the fish needs the water in order to survive. Put that same fish that... Good sound effects, right, Liv? Put that fish back in the water. Oh, the, the majesty, the brilliance of the fish comes out. Same thing is true of you and I. When we find our place in God, when we get connected to God, our brilliance comes out. Romans, for whom he did foreknow, everybody. He also predestined, watch this, to be conformed to the image of his son, For whom he did foreknow those he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I don't know if you if you understood everything that was going on in that verse. But let me tell you what that verse means. That means that God uses everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. That means that God uses everything. Now don't get it twisted. I didn't say God causes everything. But God uses everything. I mean, every God, when God cooks a chicken, God uses every bit of that chicken. I mean, he, he eats the chicken neck and everything. Is there a chicken neck? Is there something called the chicken neck? I don't know. Everything. But here's what God uses everything for. To conform us into the image of Christ. The purpose of God is to change us to become more like Jesus. And the way that God creates us or helps us to become more like Jesus. One of the big ways, one of the huge ways, one of the ways that should never be underestimated is this thing that I'm calling close encounters of the God kind. Close encounters of the God kind. Everybody remember that movie from years ago about UFOs I think it was about, right? Close encounters of the the God kind. What, what is that? That is a moment in time where the God of the universe makes himself or his word absolutely real to you. A moment in time when when God marks your life with an awareness or an awakening or an epiphany of who he is, so much so that it strengthens you in a way that very few things can strengthen you like that. God encounters of, close encounters of the God kind. These are the most powerful experiences in life. Julius Caesar said this, he said, experience is the teacher of all things. Immanuel Kant said, experience without theory is blind, but theory without experience is mere intellectual play. And Albert Einstein said, the only source of knowledge is experience. And here's the thing, our life is the sum total of our experiences. Both good experiences and bad experiences and those experiences shape what we believe and how we think and how we act and who we allow into our life and all sorts of things are shaped by our experiences and most people will, will categorize experiences into only two kinds of experiences with different kinds of, of adjectives to describe them in more detail but, but basically bad experiences and good experiences. And you know, then you have, you know, Horrible experiences, which are really bad experiences. And you have really horrible experiences, which you have, oh, unbelievably hard and difficult ex- bad experiences. Then you have good experiences. Amazing, exceptional, life-changing good experiences. And most people narrow life down to those two experiences. And, and those are two good experiences. But I believe there's a third experience that supersedes both of those experiences. I call them close encounters of the God kind. God experiences. Because here's what I found out about God experiences. God experiences can take a bad experience and turn it into a good experience. And God experiences can take a good experience and turn it into a defining experience in your life. And God experiences can take a bad experience and it can it can nullify the intended negative effects of the bad experience so that they don't mock you or mar you for the rest of your life. A God experience can change your life in a heartbeat. It can nullify an addiction in a second. It can transform a life in a second. It can turn a life around in a second a god experience is the greatest kind of experience that you can ever have it will mark you in a significant way and so god experiences are unparalleled they're unprecedented they're a little unpredictable they're definitely impartial we're going to see why in just a minute But their transformational ability is outstanding, and it's amazing, and it's awe-inspiring. They change us like nothing else can. God
1: experiences.
0: Isn't that what ultimately caused the wise men to leave another way? They had a close encounter of the God kind. They had an experience with God. And it it so changed their life that they were willing to double-cross Herod in the process of doing it. So that they could live, they were willing to put their life on the line by disobeying Herod, who is known to kill people for disobeying him. But they had an experience with God. And so because of that experience with God, they said, you know what, I'm willing to put everything I am and everything I own and everything that I hope to be. I'm willing to put my life on the line, everything that I, that I, I wish to be, all of it on the line because I had an experience with God. How do you tell whether you had a close encounter of the God kind, has it pushed you to the place where you are willing to put it
1: all on the line
0: for Jesus? Everything. Willing to risk it all. Suffer loss. Turn uh, down opportunities. Be wronged. Be misunderstood. Stand up for Jesus. Be considered a fool. If you have a God experience, you will. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul, listen to what he said. He said, but what things were gained to me These things I've counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. This was Paul. So y'all don't know who Paul was before he was Paul. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was their their senate in those days. He was rich. He was wealthy. He was aristocratic. He was well-known, well-liked had a wonderful or he had a he was married, I don't know if it was wonderful because the Bible never says, but he had everything that you could ask for in life. He had the Israelite dream, we call it the American dream, they called it the Israelite dream. back he had it all. But one day on a road to Damascus, he had a close encounter of the God kind that wrecked his entire life. It seemed bad at first. Because when Jesus showed up and he saw him, Paul try to open his eyes, he couldn't see. And what seemed bad at first wound out to be blessed in the end because he became the greatest advocate that the church has ever known. He, but he lost it all. And here's what he writes back on. And I, and I know he's thinking about that Damascus Road experience. He said, everything that I lost, he said, I consider it rubbish. One version says, I like the Bible because it's real. He it says, I consider it dung d u n g it is all stuff to me that's what he said i consider it all lost for christ how do you tell That you have had a God experience that has truly done what God is looking to do in our life. Has it changed you and transformed you to the place where your priorities have been reset in such a way that Jesus and God are now at the top of your list? Because if they're not, you need a God experience in your life. All throughout the Bible, we find examples of people who are transformed into the image of Christ through these things called close encounters of the God kind. Paul, we talked about him. Moses, he was a murderer, scared of Pharaoh on the back side of a mountain, hiding out because he killed uh, an an Egyptian that rose up against the Hebrew. And God appeared to him in a burning bush. And suddenly that man who was afraid stood before the same man that he was afraid of, Pharaoh. And he stood before him and said, God said, let my people go with a staff in his hand. Imagine going in front of the most mighty man in the universe at the time. You know, going against an army. What weapons you got? I got a staff. Why? He had a God experience. Zacchaeus was a wicked tax collector who used to rob people. I don't think nothing's changed with the way they tax us today. He used to rob people. Extort them for money. Jesus met him one day. He was up in a tree. Went over his house for lunch. After that lunch, it was what I call the first power lunch. Zacchaeus comes out and he goes, you know what? Anybody that I stole from, I'll restore them four times as much as I took. What happened? He had a God experience that turned a crook into somebody that was generous. Gideon was hiding behind a wine press. He was scared. He had a Christophany appearance or experience. A Christophany is the pre-incarnate Christ showing up in the Old Testament. He had a Christophany experience. And God, in the form of an angel, said to him, Hello, mighty man of valor. The dude was hide- hiding behind a wine press. And that experience turned him into somebody that was willing to stand up against the Midianites. Why? He had an experience with God. It will, it will change you in ways that nothing else can. And here's why close encounters of the God kind will change you in such profound ways. And this is my last point. Because they ensure that our faith will be steadfast. Close encounters of the God kind ensure that our faith will be steadfast. Leonard Ravenhill was a great theologian. He said, A man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with a mere argument. The problem with most people's faith is they have arguments. And you ever see Christians? They always argue. They want to argue somebody into believing. You can't convince somebody by arguing with them. But you know how you can convince somebody that Jesus is real? Tell them about your experience. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Right? Tell them about your experience. A man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with a mere argument. In the body of Christ, we have de-emphasized The importance of experiences to our faith. In an effort to teach people the principles of faith and, and specifically scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5, 7 for we walk by faith and not by sight, we have, we have taught people that to ignore experiences and just focus on what the Word of God has to say. And there is a powerful principle there. Sometimes you have to combat experience with the truth of the Word of God, but if your experience Never supports what you believe. Eventually you will stop believing what you believe. Because experience solidifies our faith. We have to have experiences. Otherwise we will eventually conclude that what we believe is not true. And so we often overlook the power of these close encounters of the God kind, especially in moments when life is unfair unpredictable, challenging, and difficult. I pity, not in a bad way or in a condescending way, people who experience life in that way who don't have an experience with God because their experience will start to teach them something that will be difficult for them to believe. Let me explain how close encounters of the God kind work to this end, and how they ensure that our faith will be steadfast. In the animal kingdom, there's something called imprinting. What an Im- what imprinting is is when you take a a baby animal of any sort, and when it comes out, the first thing that it sees is its mother, and and the mother nurtures that baby animal along, and that the, that mother is seen as that source for that baby animal, feeds it and protects it and cares for it and all sorts of things. And and because that happens, there's a bond that is formed between the, the baby and the mother and, and what that's called is imprinting so much so that you can then remove the baby animal from its mother for an extended period of time and you can watch and you can that baby animal can grow up and, and years could go by. But if you put that baby animal back in the company of its mother, even after years of experiencing all sorts of stuff, it will never forget who its mother is. And you remember years ago, there was, there was that cub video, lion video that went viral. You remember that? The cub was raised in the apartment of these two guys. You guys have that ready? Yes, 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 yes. The, the cub was raised in the apartment with these two guys from the time that just came out of the money, they took it, put it into the apartment. And, and those two guys, they, they fed it, they nursed it, they played with it, they, 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 it was like a dog in the house, and, and it kept growing and growing and growing, and eventually it turned into a lion, and it got too big for the apartment. And so what they did is they brought it into the wild, and they let it go into the wild, of course they were heartbroken and everything. And a year later they came back. And now now it's grown into a lion. It's got its own pride and it's the boss of its own family and all that kind of stuff. And, And they wondered whether the lion would remember. Look at this. Watch what happened.
1: Ambled down another 10 or 15 meters and had a very long, hard look at us. Could just see him assessing what was going on. He kept walking slowly, slowly down towards us. And I think that was the point where we actually couldn't bear it any longer and actually called out his name. And at that moment, the pace picks up. And he was just so, so excited. And of course we were. Imagine that side of the
0: world. That's risky, right there. What was the wrong line? I mean, like, uh, you know, what does this have to do, Pastor, with how God encounters close encounters of the God kind? What what does this have to do with them steadying our faith? When we have an experience with God, where God makes himself or his word real to us, we suddenly know that we know that we know that we know that we know that God is. That God is whatever we need to know that we know that we know that we know that God needs to be. Whether it's that healer. Whether he is provider, whether he is real, whether he is carer, whether he is whatever it is that you need him to be. When you have a God experience, what happens is this. You can be removed, and I'm saying this figuratively because this is theologically, this doesn't make any sense. You can be removed from God. You can be distanced from God. Because experience in life often does that, doesn't it? Experience in life can separate you, stand in the way of you and God. And all of a sudden, experience is trying to tell
1: you God is not. But here's what happens if you've had a God experience. There has been an imprint on you that, oh, that, ha, that you have placed on God where you know, you know that you know that you know that you know that you know that
0: he's God. And so what happens is you run to him. There's a bond that can't be broken. And the apostle Paul, he put it like this. He said, he said, who shall separate us that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor
1: powers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ. Jesus, what is Paul talking about?
0: He said, I, I've gone through some serious tribulations and distresses and persecutions. That tried to shipwreck my faith. But on a long, dusty road called Damascus, I imprinted on God. And so even though the circumstances and the tribulations and the difficult times tried to challenge my faith, there was
1: a steadfastness to my faith that knew that he was real. Famine and nakedness and peril and sword came my way and tried to sift my faith. But on a long dusty road called Damascus, I had an experience with Christ that caused me to imprint on him. I know that he's real. Death and life came my way it knocked at my door it took a loved one life was hard and it challenged my faith but on a long dusty road called Damascus I had an experience with Jesus and I know that I know that I know that I know he's real you see God experiences
0: close encounters of the God kind make your faith steadfast and sure, doesn't mean you won't have bouts, bouts without doubt. Was Paul's destiny tested? Was his faith tested? Yeah, yeah, of course. But every time he was at the breaking point, he thought back, Damascus, I know he's real. I can't see him right now. I can't feel him, but I, but I know he's real years ago and I'll I'll close with this is this my second closing? yeah and by the way I cut my message six pages short so you ought to be happy when I was 14 I had my first big close encounter of the God kind I've had so many in my life now but when I was 14 my parents were going through a divorce when they told me I thought my life was over Went up into my room, threw myself on the bed and tears like rain began to fall from my face. I thought the pain would never go away. I thought that life would never get better ever, ever again. And I was crying hysterically and I had, and you've heard this before, I drew a picture of Jesus. I put it over my stereo. And in my 14 year old faith way, I looked at the picture and I said, God help. what I heard that day forever changed my life the audible voice of God the first of two times that in my whole life God has spoken to me audibly spoke in that moment and God said don't worry my son everything will be okay What's the words. I had heard these words so many times. How many of you have heard those words before as you're going through something from a well-meaning person that seems to patronize the pain that you're going through? Don't, don't worry, everything will be okay. Those words are normally irritating when you're in pain. And you know, when you're in pain, somebody says, don't worry, everything will be okay. What do you want to do? You want to turn around to you and say, shut up, you don't know what I'm going through. But this, this was the audible voice of God. Not like when people say, you know, well, God told me and they just mean they got an impression or, you know, they they opened up the scripture and there was something that spoke to them there. Not that this was God's audible voice. So much so that when I heard the voice, I went like this, I jumped around. I thought he was standing behind me. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. And forever I was marked. So life has come my way. And the enemy has told me on many different occasions. God doesn't care. And I just smile. Nope.
1: I know he does. Too late. How do you know? I know because in my depth of pain the god of the universe cared enough about me at 14 to speak to me audibly and say words that melted my heart in that moment the enemy has come and said god's not real nope too late there was a bond formed at the age of 14 that is unbreakable is my faith ever challenged Absolutely. Do I ever doubt all the time? But every time my faith is challenged and my doubt comes to my mind, I remember the day that God said, Don't worry, my son, everything will be okay. I imprinted on God, and God marked me forever. God wants to give you. An experience with him that will defy anything that you ever go through and will conform you into the image of
0: Jesus. Come on, stand to your feet with me.